Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Today's one of those fun days for a preacher. I'm just going to tell you stuff I'm thankful for. I was trying to think, what am I going to preach for Thanksgiving? And um, I just, I'm just going to tell you some stuff I'm thankful for. And this, this starts right here. Uh, Philippians chapter 1. Such a great passage to deal with it. Look at verse 3. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this church and this Thanksgiving weekend, this, this time that we set aside to be thankful. Of course, we're always supposed to be thankful. But at this time, we really do focus on it. And Lord, I pray that this morning, as we look at some things to be thankful for, that our hearts are lifted, that um, we can just set aside some of the cares of the world. In Jesus' name, amen. It's interesting, when you look at uh, the book of Philippians, chapter 4, it says in verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord sometimes. What's it say? Always. And again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. You know the thing that helps us be more moderate as opposed to volatile or manic? The thing that does that is rejoicing. Look at what it says. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with what? Thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Laura and I often say this, that the cure for almost everything is thankfulness. You know, any of you, you know, don't, don't raise your hand, but any of you ever, you just, you're just down. You know, you just feel like you're under the weight of the world, like everything is going wrong. This thing never works. Every time I try to do this, it goes bad. Everything, I, every contractor that I bring into the house messes things up. Every person that I talk to is having marriage trouble. Everybody, have you ever been around somebody that's like that? Your pastor, maybe? I don't know. You can, you can get to where you feel like everything is against you when if you just step back and you start listing the things. What's that song? Count your blessings, name them every one. What's the next line? And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Does it surprise you? Is that the right line? What is it? Okay. So it, it, if we would just count our blessings, it just changes our, our whole outlook on life. It's like, I'm thankful today that I don't have a sprained ankle. I look over at Nathan. I'm thankful that he has the sprained ankle and not me. Did you all hear how that happened? Now, some of you, now Carol, of course you know Carol, but Phil is, is Nathan's dad. He is the ultimate weatherman. And, you know, he is the one who's going to care for making sure that the basement is dry, that all this stuff is done. So Nathan, Nathan looked out the back of his house and he saw that the ditch behind his house was filling up with water and was coming into his backyard. So he had a Phil Brynick moment and he took off running down the stairs to switch the sump pump to move to where, to move where the water goes. And he fell on the stairs or something and sprained his ankle, which I think is hilarious. 
And so I saw him today. I don't know if you noticed, he's got a slipper on one or a slide thing on one foot and his shoes on the other. And so I'm thankful it's him and not me. Isn't it wonderful how, don't we have such love and concern and care at Grace Baptist Church? We are the feel-good church. But it, it, really, it really does change us when we're thankful. It changes everything. So I want to give you a couple of things that I'm thankful for. The first thing that I'm thankful for is you. And this passage right here, go to chapter 1 again, verse 3. You know, the apostle is writing as a pastor here to these people. And he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy. Look at this. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. When I look back, you know, it's been more than 20 years now that I've been pastor, and the things that you people have done for the gospel, that we have worked together in the gospel, trying to reach people in our community for the Lord Jesus Christ. I am so thankful for that. And I think about individuals, things that you have done. You know, we, we used to live right down the street here. We bought that house, and we wanted to add a bathroom. But to add a, it's on a slab, so we had to break up the, the slab in a, in a place. So we cut it, and then you had to break it up with a sledgehammer. Well, Wade New came over to help break it out. This is 19 years ago with a sledgehammer. Now, the problem is Wade's too tall to use a sledgehammer in the house. And so I still have this sledgehammer. We cut the handle down to about this big so Wade could uh, swing it. I've got a picture of him bent over, swinging this sledgehammer down into the, into the ground. You just look back over time, 20 years of people doing things for us. I was thinking of Dr. Ree. When we first moved here, um, we lived in an apartment down on Water Street. And folks in the church had worked so hard to get it fixed up for us. Uh, Lydia was only three weeks old. She was a new baby. And uh, it was, you know, a million degrees in the house. And Dr. Ree came over and couldn't take it that Laura, as a new mom, there was no air conditioning. So he came up. He bought this massive air conditioner to put in the window. And then he had to build a platform for the air conditioner. So here's Dr. Ree on his knees building stuff for us all those years ago. And then, of course, Shirley had to make sure that Lydia had the best, finest, most beautiful, frilly dresses and clothes, and those things got passed throughout the whole church. How many of you girls wore those? How many of you moms had your girls wear those dresses? Yeah, they went all over the church. Those are just little things, but they're not little when you need them. And all of those things, I remember Jim Jimerson and Bob Maxwell rewired that whole house for us. They just came in and, and did it. And I learned so much about all that stuff while they were doing that. I said to Bob Maxwell, I said, are you ever nervous when you handle this electricity? Because I was scared to death of it. And he said, the day I stop fearing it is the day i got to stop. Isn't that a good lesson? Isn't that a good lesson about sin? Boy, if we feared sin more, we would be more careful in the things that we handle. But when I look back over this time and all these years, Grandma Joni always had to make sure that Jacob had the right transformer for Christmas. <laughs> uh, you know who Barack Obama's favorite transformer was? You always know that, right? Karl Marx. Get a transformer. <laughs> I just look back at over the years, all of you folks, for all of those years, You've been here loving us, loving other people. When I look back on it, it's, it's hard not to just start crying here in the pulpit for the things that you've done. 
And then all through the years, you, you, folks that have kept that have begun coming, and we've established relationships with you, and just it's it's amazing. You'll talk to somebody. How long have you been coming now? Twelve years. What? There's no way that it's that long. I can't believe it. And to see the the, the families that have continued to come and that adds so much to our church. And now new families that are diving in and saying, this is our church and we love you guys and we want to serve with you. What is that? Now, now let me say this. You new folks, so the air conditioner is cared for, but there's got to be something else you can do for me. <laughs> no, it's just, that's <laughs> not, it sounds like that's the point of the message. It's really not. But I, I'm just so thankful for you, for this church. And, you know, I'm just telling you, this is a special place. You know, the, the inconvenience of our facility right now. And it's going to get more inconvenient as we start to add on and do those things. And I'm just so thankful for you. Look, there's another thing that I'm thankful for with you guys. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4. The fellowship in the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. This is an interesting verse. I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 4. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. You know, I'm really thankful that when I look out here, I see the grace of God. I see the grace of God. How many of you, God's changed you <laughs> through what He's done? He's changed you. And what's so fun as a pastor is to watch that. It's to watch God's change in a person's life. It's wonderful to see. And do you know the way that you can do that when you're thankful? When you start looking at what other people do for the Lord and you start counting and, and, and thinking about what God is doing in people's lives, the marriages that He saved, the children that He's raised, the, the influence that we're having in the community because of you. But it's not us that's doing it. It's the grace of God. And I've got to tell you, you young people, and I'll, I'll probably cry here, you have no idea how thankful I am for you. You guys are an inspiration to me. Your faithfulness, the stands that you're taking, the way that you're trying to be modest, you girls, and be different from the world. You guys, the way that you're being gentlemen and you're, you're trying to be a testimony and you're standing up against evil and things in your schools and, and evil in, in your parents, the way you stand up against that. I, I'm so thankful for that. You guys are... All, I am so thankful... You know, I've always said, I want to be remembered for two things, that I helped you take off the world's glasses and put on biblical glasses, and that our children are serving God in the next generation. So we have these young people, but then we have these college students that they, they, they've graduated from high school, but they've not given up. They didn't graduate from the Lord. They didn't graduate from church. They're serving God. They're, they're trying to have an impact. Man, I praise God for the grace that is evident in you. Man, stick with it. Stick with it. Look at what the... Let's keep reading in 1 Corinthians. It says this, verse 5, that in everything ye are enriched by Him. Do you realize how enriched we are by Jesus Christ? And I look at you, you're enriched. How? In all utterance and in all knowledge. Boy, has God given us truth? Verse 6, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that ye come behind in no gift. Look at this. Waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who shall also confirm you unto the end that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't it wonderful that when you get saved, God keeps you all the way until the end? Amen. I'm going to talk about that some more in a second, Lord willing. But I am so thankful that the gifts of God that He's given Grace Baptist Church, the things that we are able to accomplish because of the giftedness of God's people. We have people that you're servants, you're administrators. Some of you are just good at giving the truth. And then we, we got to have that balanced off with mercy. And we're so glad that you people are here. We can't do the ministry without God's grace being evident in you. And when God gives you that grace, He gifts you for service. And what a wonderful result that happens when we all do what God has gifted us to do in the local church. Man, I'm thankful for you. I am just thankful for Grace Baptist Church. Um, so not only am I thankful for you, I'm thankful for the truth. Look at John chapter 8. What's fun, Grace Baptist, I was asking, might have been at, at the funeral this week and continue to pray for Linda Lehman but, uh, and, and Josh Divins. We, um, I was talking with... Uh, Aaron Edwards. And I said, do you know so-and-so? And he said, there's so many new people. It's funny when young people can't remember, you know, folks, because there's so many new people. So it's wonderful that there are new folks, right? But what's really wonderful is at Grace Baptist Church, there's not a hierarchy or a caste system. If you're here for 20 years, we're thankful for your faithfulness. If you've been here for six months, we're thankful for your faithfulness. Isn't that awesome? And so I'm just so thankful for Grace Baptist Church. But look at John chapter 8 and look at verse 32. And as he spake these words, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You know, we live in a world where people don't have any idea what the truth is. Um, Pilate asked Jesus Christ, do you remember the question that he asked Jesus? What is truth? Uh, Ravi Zacharias said that that is the quintessential question of our age. It marks the, the, the age that we live in. And l listen, he's the perfect example of it, Pilate was, because he asked the most profound question, but then didn't wait for the answer. And that's our culture. Our culture has a lot of questions. What is truth? Is there really any such thing as truth? How do you know that that's true? Why do you believe that? I don't really care about those things. You have your truth. I have my truth. I am so glad that truth, absolute truth, does exist. Because when the rubber hits the road, when you are really in trouble and you have to have an answer, it's wonderful that we can go to the Word of God and know that Jesus Christ said, I am the way the truth, and the life. I'm glad that we can know those things. Truth requires two things. It requires, first of all, correspondence. Correspondence. So for a statement to be true, it has to correspond with reality, right? So if I said, I am very tall, well, compared to Lilliputians or something, maybe that's true. But in reality, I'm just, you know, I am perfect. <laughs> Everybody else is off. Um, no, I'm not tall. That, that would be a false statement. It, it, a, a statement that is true, must correspond to reality. So truth requires correspondence. And so when Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, 
Does that correspond to reality? Yes, because Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. Jesus Christ is the truth. He's the living Word of God. And Jesus Christ is the life because Jesus Christ said, when you come unto me, I'll give you life. And that life that we have comes through His death, burial, and resurrection. I'm so thankful for that. So truth requires correspondence. It, it, it has to, what you say has to correspond to reality, but then it also has to be coherent. Coherent. What does that mean? That those, those statements that you claim to be true, they have to cohere. So it would be like this. If I say, um, I don't have any brothers or sisters, and then a little bit later I say, my brother told me, those statements don't cohere with each other, which means they can't be true, right? It would be like me saying that my mother had no children that lived. The fact that I'm standing here belies that point. That's a self-contradictory statement. Is that, is that fair? You know, my brother was an only child. That statement doesn't correspond to reality. And those two statements, if I make that statement just my very presence, it shows that they don't correspond and they don't cohere. In Jesus Christ, I want you to see something that's so cool. Go to Colossians chapter 2. I'm thankful for the truth. Look at verse 6. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. So we need to receive Christ as our Lord, and that's how you get saved. But then you need to walk in Him. What does that do? Or what 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 does that look like? Verse 7. Rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith. Look at this. As you have been taught, abounding therein with what? Thanksgiving. You'll find that all mixed through the Christian walk. Verse 8. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy. Well, let me give you my philosophy on that. Let me tell you what I think. I know you say that, but I think... Well, that philosophy may or may not correspond to reality. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men. We've always done it that way. After the rudiments of the world, look, and not after Christ. For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in Him, which is the head of all principality and power. And so I'm thankful that the truth exists, that the truth is Jesus Christ, and that that correspondence and that coherence it's all found in the fullness of Jesus. Truth exists. And we know Him. His name is Jesus. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for that. And see, these, this truth and these truth claims, they have to answer four questions. For something to be true, when it's applied to life, it'll answer these four questions. The question of origin. Where did I come from? The question of meaning. Why am I here? The question of morality, how do I know how to live? And the question of destiny, where will I go when I die? Aren't you glad that God gives us the truth on all of those things? It's the truth. Where did I come from? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. What about meaning? What about meaning? I'm created to bring Him glory. And when He gives me gifts, and that's, that's abilities that God gives us, 
We owe it. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, in whom is no variableness nor shadow of turning. It all comes from Jesus Christ. Your ability to do what you do comes from Jesus Christ. The meaning in your life, the fulfillment that we men find in what we do, that's because God created us for a purpose and we do it for His glory. When we do it according to His will, then that ultimate satisfaction and fulfillment, it comes and we have meaning. You ladies, the gifts that God has given you where you find your fulfillment and your meaning in the God-given roles that He's given you. There's meaning. There's purpose. Now, listen, that might not be your job, You might go to your job so you can feed your family because that's your responsibility. It's wonderful when those two things come together, when your purpose is your job, but it doesn't always work out that way. It would be nice if it did. But the simple fact is you can fulfill God's purpose for you in a job that you hate by being who you're supposed to be in that place and using those gifts that God has given you. Origin, meaning, morality. Well, you say that's right. You say that's wrong. Who are you to say? I'm not. God said it. God said, look at Romans chapter 2. Look at verse 14. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law... These having not the law are a law unto themselves. Verse 15. Which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness in their thoughts the mean while accusing or excusing one another. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. What is is this saying? That that language is, you'd have to think about it a little bit as you read it. But the simple fact is that you don't have to know Jesus Christ to know right from wrong. God's written it in your hearts. You know, there are a lot of atheists that if they saw someone beating a little child would step in to stop it because they know that that's wrong. Amen? They know that that's wrong. But where did that truth, that morality come from? The fact that there is a moral law is evidence that there is a moral lawgiver. And that moral lawgiver has written the moral law on the hearts of all mankind. That's why every civilization in the world has some kind of a sacrificial system to try and atone to God for their sin. Every culture has that. And so what God has done is He's written right and wrong on our hearts. But what's the purpose of it? See, in Jesus Christ, we find the reason for this morality. Because evil hurts us, good helps us. It's that simple. You know, you kids, when mom told you, don't touch the stove. Is that because she hated you? No, it's because she didn't want you to burn yourself. Now, how many of you knuckleheads went ahead and did it anyway? Look, look, of course, right? My sister, man, I have an evil sister. And one day she just told my brother, here, touch the iron. Skin grafts. All kinds of stuff. They're just little. So if you're ever around my sister, make sure there's no hot irons that are there. It, it, it's, what's the difference? A child, little, I mean, three, four years old. They don't know what's good and evil yet. 
we as adults are supposed to know that difference. And we give that instruction to our children for their benefit and for their good. God's way way better parent than we are. And God gives us that morality, that right from wrong. We find the truth of that in Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm thankful that there's truth that we're not left to wander out in this world because you're not going to get truth. You're not going to get a better, a good understanding of morality from late-night comics on TV, right? You're not. You're going to get morality from the Word of God. So I thank God for you. I thank God for the truth. And then look at Colossians. Keep your place in Colossians. You probably moved from there already anyway. Go to Galatians 6. We'll go back to Colossians in a minute. Galatians 6, look at verse 14. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. I just thank God for the cross. I thank God for the cross. Because the longer I live, the more I recognize my own sinfulness. And I realize that I cannot live the life that I need to live in order to be that holy Christian. I need the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't do it. Think about this. As a believer, as a person who's placed their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, I have the indwelling Holy Spirit helping me to do what's right. I'm thankful for that. How many of you are thankful that you've got that? And yet I fail all the time. You know, like the Apostle Paul, that which I would, that I do not, that which would not, that I do. Who can deliver me from the body of this death? Oh, contemptible man that I am. You ever feel that way? Imagine if you had to be good enough to take yourself to heaven. It would just be horrible. And the cross is a horrible thing. You know, the word excruciating, that's, that comes from the cross. That's what Jesus Christ went through for us, this excruciation, this horrible pain that Christ went through for us to pay for our sin. Man, I'm thankful for that. Because there's no possible way that I could be good enough to go to heaven on my own. Man, it's just amazing. And look what the cross did. Go back to Colossians chapter 2. Look at verse 13. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together, that's made alive together with him. Now, look, I love this right here. Look, having forgiven you some of your trespasses. What's it say? Man, are you glad for that? How did that happen? Verse 14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. That handwriting of ordinances that was against us, that's your indictment. Right? You ever go to court, they, they present an indictment. This is what you are accused of. And in our case, we're not only accused of it, we're guilty of it. And we go and we stand before the judge, and we have this handwriting that's been written against us. You know what Jesus Christ did? Look at what it says. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way. How did he do it? Nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. 
man, I'm so glad Jesus Christ died on the cross for me. All of that handwriting that was against me. I don't know about you guys, man, but there might be a time when you're alone and everything is off and it's quiet and your sin becomes very real in your life. If you've never come to the place where you've taken that sin to the Lord Jesus Christ and you've asked Him to save you and be your Savior, you need to be saved. If you are saved and that the, the remembrance of that sin comes up, the Bible, look at Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? Because that the worshipers once purged, look at, should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made for sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. But do you know what did take away those sins? the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you look back at your life and you say, I've got this sin, I I committed this sin. When you have taken that sin to Jesus Christ, He has blotted that out. It is gone. There is no more remembrance of it. If you went to God and you said, God, do you remember that sin? He'd say, what sin? I, I don't know what you're talking about. Do you know the amazing thing about God? God has the ability to forget. And He forgets our sin. Don't raise your hand on this, but how many of you, you struggle to forget the sins of your past? Jesus Christ has paid for that sin on the cross. I am so thankful for the cross. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for the truth. I'm thankful for the cross. But most of all, I'm thankful for eternal life. Aren't you glad that you don't have to keep your own salvation? It's a kind of an arrogant thought to think that if I commit a certain number of sins, I'll lose my salvation. Why is that? Why would that be arrogant? Remember what I always say? Cheer up. You're a lot worse than you think you are. We don't have any idea how many sins we've committed. The Bible says whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Did you do anything that was not of faith this week? Can you think, could you list all the things you did not in faith? Could you list them? No. I can't remember what I had for breakfast yesterday. There's no way I could list all of those things. So the idea that somehow I could confess every sin that I ever commit in order to stay right with God, that is completely silly. But I love it that the Bible says... For the which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. He keeps my salvation, I don't. I am so thankful for eternal life. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through my faithfulness and good works. No, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Why? Because He's the way, the truth, and the life. 
See, we can have fellowship. I, I can thank my God on every remembrance of you for your fellowship in the gospel from the beginning until now. I, I can thank God for that because of the Lord Jesus Christ. I can thank God for what He's doing by the grace that's evident in you because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. I can thank God that you and I can serve God until He comes or until we die because He keeps us. We don't keep ourselves. I am so thankful for you. I'm thankful for the truth. I'm thankful for the cross, and I'm thankful for eternal life. Aren't you glad that you're eternally saved? <laughs> you're glad that Jesus Christ saved you and that you can't save yourself? Because think about this. If you had to do something to keep your salvation, that means that you had to do something to get it in the first place. The Bible says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by His mercy He saved us, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Amen? For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Isaac, come up here for a second. You guys know what I'm going to do. I got this pen. And this is actually a really cool pen. Isn't that a cool pen? You don't really care, do you? Okay. <laughs> so let's say, that's an old man thing. So let's say that I want to make this pen a gift to you. What do you have to do to make it yours? Just take it. But in order to keep it, you've got to wash my car every week for the next 10 years. You give it back because then it's not a gift, right? You have to earn it. Thanks. You can be seated. See, here's the problem that people have. They think that you receive the gospel as a gift, that you receive salvation as a gift, but then every week you've got to work to keep it. Common sense, reality, correspondence and coherence Right? That all tells us that you can't work for a gift. You can't work for a gift. When you get your paycheck at the end of the week, do you go to your boss? Thank you. It's just what I wanted. <laughs> no, there's a difference between wages and a gift. The wages of sin is death. What you get for what you do is death. Eternal life is a gift. You work for death. You receive a gift. Isn't that wonderful? I thank God for you. I thank God for truth. I thank my God for the cross, and I thank my God for eternal life. If you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, do it today. I want you to have a part in the fellowship of the gospel that we have. Isn't it an interesting thing when you travel and you meet somebody that's a Christian and there's an immediate camaraderie? There's an immediate connection. They might not be a Baptist. They might not believe exactly the way that we do. But isn't it wonderful when you meet somebody and you know that they love your Jesus? Amen. There's an immediate connection. What is that? That's the fellowship that we have in the gospel. That common salvation. That's what I want you to have. And then those of us who have that, well, let's be thankful. Let's be thankful for the truth and be thankful for the cross and be thankful for eternal life and live out in the world what we believe. Amen? Amen. Let's be thankful. Thank you, Lord, so much for your word. We don't deserve it.